Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicles Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Moira O'Neill and joining me on the show today are my colleagues Kate Bealey and Chris Dillow. We're also delighted to have a special guest in the studio. Jason Whitcomb is a Chartered Financial Planner with Evolve Financial Planning. In today's show, we're going to look at investing in gold, commodities and emerging markets. So quite a lot to get through. Is it a good time to be holding these assets in your portfolios? We'll also discuss the case of an investor who's trying to decide between managing his investments by himself or handing them over to a professional. Now, investors seem to be uh, polarised, really, on whether you should be getting back into gold. Does the metal still have safe haven qualities? Should you be investing? How much? What's the best way to get exposure? Kate, you've been looking at all these these questions this week. What, what's, what's the situation on gold? Um, well, it's, it's interesting because gold's really taken quite a beating over the past three years and it's been on a massive downturn. People have really been shunning it. But just in the past kind of month or two months, we've seen quite a lot of investors coming back into gold via um, exchange-traded commodities, which seemed like an interesting time. And then Tilney Best Invest just said that it was adding gold to its multi-asset portfolios as a kind of diversifier and as part of its move to de-risk. So I thought all that all that seemed quite interesting. And in fact, it does seem like it is still a good idea to hold some gold as a diversifier, just because it does such different things to the rest of your portfolio in an ideal world. But I don't think there's any sense that it's it's going to be delivering you amazing returns anytime soon. But yeah, the people I spoke to seem to say, yes, still keen on holding it as a diversifier and as a kind of way of de-risking in that sense. Um, Chris, what's your thoughts on, on gold? Um, sh- should you be buying it now? What, what do you think? Well, two, two points here. Um, first, I just want to echo what Kate said about gold being a diversifier if you hold it in, in, in small quantities because the circumstances in which gold tends to do well are ones in which bonds or equities don't do so well. So it can help to diversify the risk of a bond equity portfolio. A second point, which I've been looking at recently, is a, a, a useful rule for um, predicting where gold is going is a simple 10-month moving average rule. And this, is, this says that you should buy gold when its price is above its 10-month moving average and sell when it is below. Now, historically, that rule has served you better than buy and hold. And at the moment, the rule is telling us to stay out of gold. So that's a quite a, a strong, strong message there, Chris. I mean, Jason, do you hold gold for your clients? Is it, is it something that you use as a diversifier? No, we, we don't hold it in client portfolios and have no, uh, no immediate plans to. Although, like any asset class, it's something we look at on a regular basis. But it's interesting, actually, the, the way you phrased the, the original question, Moira, about investors getting back into gold because that that does imply that uh, investors have been really clever and got out of it at the right time and want to get back in at the right time and you know it would be wonderful if we could all all do that but I don't think you know I don't think that's possible and I think we, sh- we should all, all recognize that and with gold because it doesn't produce an income it's not like a share where there's dividends that that, that go alongside it and, and can help you to to decide what price you want to pay for it you know it's this it's this sort of difference between investing and speculating and I I think putting money in gold is much closer to speculating than investing 
and as a as a financial planner i don't really see it's my my role to be speculating with my clients money that's one of the reasons um it's not in client portfolios chris what do you think about that speculation aspect of gold do you agree to some extent yes if you're trying to predict gold's returns over a six or twelve month view it's incredibly difficult to do you know so, so in that sense, Jason's right. Well, I think he maybe understates the point is that it's very hard to predict returns on other assets as well. So th- there's an element of what he calls speculation in, in investing in anything. You know, the future is, to a large extent, unknowable. Income can be a great thing that you get from investments while you're waiting for asset prices to rise, can't they? And, and gold doesn't deliver that at all. So I think I think I think Jason's not alone in his his view of um, gold sort of not really being a true investment in that sense. Well, not really, because the price of gold should reflect the opportunity cost of holding it, the income foregone elsewhere. And one thing that we do know about gold is that its price tends to be negatively related to interest rates. When interest rates are low. The opportunity cost of gold, holding gold is low, therefore gold price is high. And when interest rates are high, the gold price tends to be low. So in that sense, gold is a hedge against interest rate movement. Oh, right. Oh, interesting, sir. But it, that would seem, you know, we're still in a very low interest rate environment that's going to carry on for some time. So maybe gold isn't something to be looking at now. Are we concluding that? or? <laughs> I mean, Kate, we, you did actually look at some of the uh, ways to, to hold gold because that, that's one of the real issues is you, not everyone wants to have a, a gold bar in their safe at home or in the bank. Mm. Um, and the main way is via exchange-traded commodities. Yeah, we highlight one, Investors Chronicle, the source physical gold ETC. And, uh, I mean, for example, in three years, that has um, kind of, returns that minus 30 percent but then it's had a bit of an uptick in um one and three months but yes that kind of provides performance of the spot gold price through holding kind of collateralized gold bullion basically. okay so there's gold backing the project yeah it's but, a physical yeah. thing yeah Okay, well, um, that's it for gold. But let's um, look at something that's sort of related, which is um, funds that invest in gold mining shares alongside other types of resources and commodities. And one of Investors Chronicle's favourite funds in this area is City Natural Resources High Yield Trust. And actually, the trust performance has suffered in recent years because there's been a difficult period for resources. And most recently, um, the trust has actually announced that its co-fund manager, Will Smith is leaving. Now, fund analysts don't seem too concerned about Mr Smith's departure. He was part of a team, they say, and the other team members are staying on as managers. And in fact, Investors Chronicle's investment trust columnist, who's widely followed, our our very own John Barron, says he's been adding to his holdings in City Natural Resources. He says the worst of the bad news in commodities may be behind us. Uh, and other analysts that we've spoken to this week uh, say that they feel that, that that we might be at the bottom of the commodity cycle and it might be a good time to invest a small allocation to this trust or other commodities funds. Jason, can I ask you what you, what you think about investing in commodities? Is it a good time? I think most investors are already invested quite heavily in commodities. You know, if, if we think of the FTSE All Share or the FTSE 100, there's a lot of commodities companies in there. So most clients have got plenty of... Um, assets in that already plenty of exposure to that so 
I'm not really a big fan of taking a bet on one asset class or one uh, one region um, or you know one other sort of component part of all portfolio and, and thinking oh well that's going to do better than the other bits you know that's not really my role I think investors should have a really broad well diversified portfolio stick with it through thick and thin yes some sometimes commodities do will do well other times i don't know technology will will do well but that diversification means that you're not going to get your get your fingers burnt too much if uh, the asset class you know if one asset class does badly it sounds like a very sensible approach chris um, how should investors think about their exposure to natural resources mining etc what do you, what do you reckon well there's one thing we know for sure about the sector and that is that it has a very strong seasonal pattern let me just give you a quick figure since 1987 the FTSE mining sector has risen by an average of 10.5 percent in the months from November to April and it's fallen by an average of 0.9 percent from May through to October so those pundits who say that now is the time to get into mining stocks might be right, not because they've got some vast insight into the future, but simply because the calendar is telling us to do so. Okay, so that the pattern is there. I think that might be um, a good reason to look at it, but you must make sure that it's only a small portion of your portfolio because it is very high risk. And on another high risk area this week, we really are doing high risk stuff, emerging markets funds. We've ex- been exploring these uh, in this week's magazine in quite a lot of detail. Is it a good time to invest? Kate, you were you were writing the piece. Um, what did you find out? Well, the emerging markets have yeah not been having a great time. I think the this kind of mooted rate rise has spooked everyone in terms of emerging markets just because what that could mean for them. And then it's it's kind of bad news being piled on top of bad news or at least has been for kind of half of the year. We had the China slowdown, which affected them. We saw them plummet as a result of that. The strong dollar is very bad for any emerging markets, which have a high amount of dollar-denominated debt and then commodities downturn as well. So there's a lot of negative things to say about emerging markets. And um, you know, the IMF has come out with some very kind of negative statements about him, about all of them. But that said, I think the key is that, you know, we, we always talk about emerging markets like this homogenous group. But obviously, there are some countries who have great fundamental chances to do good things and strong demographics. So, I mean, I think, you know, while things are looking a bit negative, certainly if you're selective and if you go into kind of specific trusts or specific countries then you've got you know a chance of making good returns and there are some compelling stories i think i think within the article uh, some some uh, experts were saying that the asian economies and, and in particular india mm. were looking attractive whereas others was just saying stick to a broad emerging markets fund and let the fund manager you know do the allocation jason what's your view on that where are the best opportunities yeah I mean, i'll pick up on a few points really uh, it's interesting kate kate used the word negative i think three times there <laughs> and and you know the reason I raise that is that if um, you know, there is a lot of negativity around, but that markets are forward-looking. So if you're putting your money in, in, in emerging markets, all that negativity is known. So that should be, be already priced into what you're paying for, for, for your fund or your, your shares. Um, and you know, the original point you made, more about um, is now a good time to invest. 
most investors will probably have already got some assets in emerging markets and and they will have done pretty badly over the last few years. Now's probably a very good time to rebalance your portfolio and, and, and sell out of a few assets that have done well. So US equities might, might be one as an example, or small companies have done pretty well comparatively. And then use those profits to buy into asset classes such as emerging markets that have not done so well. Just rebalance and, you know, it's, it, it's sort of systemizing that buy low, sell high type approach that we all crave. Yeah. I mean, on, on that sort of rebalancing aspect, I mean, how, how much of your portfolio should you be holding in, in exposure to emerging markets? Ultimately, we're, we're all different as individuals. So there's no, there's no rule, particular rule of thumb. But I, I think something around the, the 5 to 10% of the growth part of your portfolio. So, you know, perhaps if you've got 50% of your portfolio in low, lower risk, more defensive assets, 50 in things like equities, five or ten percent of that 50 so not too much yeah chris you've talked a lot about um patterns that you spotted in in asset classes um what about uh, emerging markets what what have you seen there well these have a quite phenomenal seasonal pattern um if we look at the msci index of emerging markets since it began in 1987 that's risen by 11.2 percent in the months from november to april and it's fallen by an average of 0.1% in the months from May through to October. Now, I suspect the reason for this is something that Jason said when he said that the negativity should be known by now. What tends to happen at this time of year is that investors in the Northern Hemisphere tend to become more risk-averse, they're more sensitive to bad news, so they tend to over-discount all the bad news that Kate has described, with the result that risky assets tend to become underpriced. And emerging markets, being riskier assets than most, tend to become more underpriced than most. And the result of that is that they enjoy a strong bounce from, from, from November onwards. Um, so, so in that sense, I think J- J- Jason's right, that now might well be the time to, to consider getting into emerging markets. But another thing I would say about this seasonal pattern is that it tells us that an awful lot of things that are talked about in emerging markets are are just plain wrong, such that the fact that emerging markets tend to fall on average over the summer tells us that emerging markets cannot be a play on economic growth because economic growth in emerging markets is good from, from May to October, but equity returns are bad. So maybe... Domestic economic conditions aren't as important for emerging markets as commentators pretend. Um, I mean, we, we're already a few days into November. Do you think um, investors may have missed their boat if they want to to play this sort uh, of starting investing on so Halloween? You normally yeah. say is that is the really good signal there, or, or can we come? Is it still time to look at it? I would have thought there'd still be time. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the seasonal pattern tends to come. In, in, in our spring, March, March and April is when markets often do, do, do very well. So I think there's still plenty of time to make the switch if you want to. Um, you should say actually that the index has already started rising quite a lot since um, its bottom in September. So, so there has been some of the, the trend <laughs> of starting. Yes, thanks, Kate. In this week's portfolio clinic, in which we analyse uh, real investor 
portfolios. We're looking uh, at the case of Rob, who is he's 60 and he's about to retire. He, he obviously, he does have exposure to things like emerging markets and commodities in his own portfolio. And he's been managing it himself for, for, for many years. But uh, at retirement, he's, he's feeling slightly more risk averse because he's, he's thinking, you know, in a year's time, I'm not going to be earning an income from work. He's actually spoken to an independent financial advisor who's offered to manage his pension and has projected returns of 5% for a 1% um, fee. So that's um, 4% in, in total. However, Rob thinks he can get better investment returns by doing it himself and using investment trusts, exchange traded funds and direct shares. We did sort of asked a few experts to have a look at the portfolio and some said go DIY, some said financial planning can add value through the sort of tax situation of your portfolio and make making it your portfolio more tax advantaged. Chris, you, you were on, on the side of go DIY. Why was that? Well, one of the first rules of investing is to try to minimise taxes and fees and avoiding a financial advisor is one way of doing that. And remember that there's nothing terribly sophisticated about investment at one level. You simply choose the mix of a global tracker fund plus cash and maybe bonds that's suitable for you. And where financial advice is very useful and necessary is if you have particular tax circumstances. I I would use a financial advisor to help me through the maze of, of tax legislation and such like. But I wouldn't use a financial advisor to tell me how to allocate my money. OK. Jason, you are a chartered financial planner. What would be your, your view here? What's, what's the good reasons to use um, you know, your type of services? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think what Chris said there is really, really sensible. Um, and I, I don't really disagree with much of that at all. The, the, way, I, the way I'd approach financial advice is re- as a consumer is really the way I'd approach any other service. You know, it's, it's down to what service am I going to get? And bear in mind that financial, different financial advisors work in very different ways. So speak to a few people, get a few quotes. But you know, what service am I going to get, and and what am I going to pay? And you know, we use the the expression DIY. So use an analogy of DIY around the house. You know, I would be rubbish at doing that. I've got no interest in doing it, and I don't want to do it. So I will always pay someone else to to do it to do it for me. And you know. It's it's the same with with investing. Some some people, probably a lot of your readers, have got an interest in personal finance, which I think in itself makes them a, a fairly unique breed of people. In that most people out there, I don't think, do have much interest in in personal finance. Put put a put a cost on on your own time as well. So when I think of the clients I look after, there's a number of them who I'm sure could do an excellent job of looking after their own finances but don't really want to because they, they see that it's worth paying me and my firm to, to help them out with it. But then sort of picking up on one of the other points Chris made is you know around that tax planning. And I, I would sort of widen that a bit and say that my approach to personal finance is investment is, is, is one part of it. Maybe, a, maybe sort of divide it into three bits. Investment's one part. Tax planning and wider financial planning issues, so for younger people, you know, insurances, mortgages, that type of thing, retire people perhaps the tax planning comes more into it that that's a second part and also for a lot of uh, investors what i refer to as life planning is so important as well you know 
have I got enough money? Can I afford to retire? Am I going to run out? Uh, can I, you know, change change jobs? This this sort of thing, giving clients confidence and peace of mind that they're they're on track. That's ultimately what what paying an advisor should be for, not just putting a portfolio together. Which Chris is right, you you, you could just do that through a global tracker, keep costs and fees to a minimum, reduce tax, and you're already a long way down the line. Great. Well, thanks very much for that, Jason. Some good points there. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. So thank you to Kate Bearley and to Chris Dillow of the Investors Chronicle. And thanks to Jason Whitcomb of Involve Financial Planning. You can read more about gold, commodities and emerging markets funds in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle alongside that portfolio clinic that we mentioned. Thank you for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.